is it okay to turn the lights on? I'd just like to see your eyes and people's faces. <coughs> good. So let me get just set up. And uh, Boy, it's good to be here this morning. Yeah. Isn't it so good to be here? Here we are. Every one of us living miracles. A little bit higher? Thank you. Oh, it's so good to be here. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee. He's in the midst of thee. It's so wonderful. I love being a Christian. I love it. There's nothing better. There isn't. Nothing greater. And here we are. Chosen by the Lord. We're blessed, every one of us. Blessed. Well, let me get started. I, uh, I've got a clock. I said to Dan, how long am I allowed to go for? He said to me, uh, well, what, only that long? <coughs> I'd like to talk this morning about an amazing young man. Uh, Hezekiah is the young man, just an incredible young man. Uh, he became king when he was 25 years old and he had everything set against him and yet he did, oh sorry, sorry, he just did amazing, amazing things for such a young man. Now, let's use my... Ah, here he is. There was no one like him in all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That's what's said of Hezekiah. Incredible. Now, to give you an idea of where he fits in the Old Testament, uh, I'd like to uh, just... Oh, let's see if this works. Oh, dear. Pardon? Oh, Lord. Well, it was working before. <laughs> there. Oh, dear, Lord. Uh, yes, I think so. It's on. Uh, let's try again. Hey. Thank you, thank you. Please don't stand. Um, right here, let's get started. Uh, because this is really uh, important. I, and I was listening to the music this morning that we were singing, and I was saying, Lord, that's exactly what I want to talk about. Exactly. So uh, the Lord has something this morning to say to us all. And before I start, even I need to pray first of all and ask the Lord to bless us. Father, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, to bless once again your children. We are here, Lord, in your presence. Our eyes are on you. And Lord, that you would bless us this morning. You would open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, that you would give us willing hearts to respond to you. Because, Lord, we know that when we respond to your voice, 
there is blessing and we want to be blessed, Lord. So we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, the first three kings of Israel was, were uh, Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And after King Solomon died, the kingdom was split into two parts. We had the northern kingdom. There were ten tribes went to the north, and they took the name of Israel. And then there were two tribes who went to the south, and they took on the name of Judah, who was the uh, stronger of the, uh, of the two, Judah and Benjamin. Now, there were 20 kings in the northern kingdom, and they were all bad. And I've highlighted two in red. They were very bad, and you're probably familiar with them. Hoshea, down the bottom, he was the last king. So for 209 years, 20 kings, every one of them was bad. And God, in his great, great mercy, loved those people, loved them. And yet, he had to punish them again and again because they would not listen. And then, in 722 BC, the Assyrians came down and took them away. And the northern kingdom was no more. Now, in the southern kingdom, there were 13 kings uh, up to Hezekiah. And the ones in red were very bad. Very bad. And you will notice that Hezekiah's dad was very bad. And I'll tell you about him in a minute. So when I put them together, the kings together, you can see that looking at down where Hezekiah is, that he's supposed to line up, and I'm so you can't see, but it's supposed to line up with Hosea. He's the last king. So when Hezekiah came, uh, became king, northern kingdom were on their last legs. So, now as... Hezekiah was growing up. He was a young man. This is before he was a king. He was a young man who loved reading his Bible. He was not like his dad. He loved the Lord, loved him. And he'd love reading about Abraham and the covenant. I am the Lord, your God. Walk with me and be blameless. How shall I? He would pour over that. He would look at Isaiah. He'd look at, at uh, Jacob. Uh, he'd look at the story of Joseph. He'd come to Moses, the burning bush. I am who I am. Take off your shoes, sandals, ground you were standing on as holy. He'd pour over that. Look at that. He looked at the Exodus. He would read <coughs> where Moses said, Lord, Show me your glory. Lord, don't send us up here if your presence doesn't go with us. Because, Lord, what distinguishes us from everybody else but your presence? And he would pour over that. He would look at that and go, oh, just like you and I. 
Last week, uh, Bruce was talking about uh, when they were, Joshua was taking the people into the, into the uh, crossing the Jordan. As I read that through the week, I thought, Hezekiah read that. He would have read that. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do great things in your midst. So Hezekiah loved the word of God. He read Deuteronomy. He read the blessings and the cursing and the curses. Read all that. Pondered it. Looked at it. Loved David. Loved his Psalms. Loved the Proverbs. Everything. And because he loved, of course, the more that he loved and knew about God, the more that he was drawn to him and he had a great prayer life. That was Hezekiah growing up. But as he was getting closer to going and coming into his kingdom, he noticed that there were things that were not right. And he was distressed. One, first of all, was his father. His father was a wicked man. Wicked. He was a man of the world. Uh, he was a wheeler dealer. And he had no respect for God whatsoever. Couldn't care less. Irrelevant. Not important. He watched his dad go into the temple, strip everything that was valuable, and then nail the door shut. Hey, we're living in now, not the past. I've got problems. This is irrelevant. That was his dad. He looked at his fellow brothers and sisters. And he saw also that they had an appalling ignorance of God and his ways. Appalling. Appalling ignorance of their history. But it didn't bother them. It didn't matter really. Because life was good. Life was good. Business was booming. They were fairly wealthy and they were secure in their wealth. And you know, I mean they had a new religion, they had their own religion, and it and it enabled them to indulge in in uh, self pleasures and self whatever. So it didn't really matter. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Sounds familiar? Sounds familiar in our day. Boy, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And so Hezekiah looked at the kingdom that he was about to inherit and that he was, that, that was not under the dominion of God. In fact, they're under the judgment of God. And the storm clouds were brewing, and he could see it. Number three, the third thing that concerned him, was the storm clouds were brewing in the north. Assyria. The dominant world power. The heavyweight, champion, undefeated of the world. Nobody had beaten Syria, uh, Assyria. No one had beaten. They were like the Mike Tyson. 
of the boxing world. They beat you with just sheer brute force and determination. And they were coming. And Hezekiah knew it. They were coming. He didn't know when, but he knew they were coming. And he was very, very concerned. So, in 725 BC, Hezekiah becomes king. Now, I can't remember what the next slide is. Oh, there it is. That's Assyria. So you can see up here, there they are in the north. They come down. You can see this, the, the expanse, the uh, territory of Assyria in the green. I said to you that in 722 BC, Assyria came down and took away the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was next. Oh. So, Hezekiah becomes king. What does he do first? And we'll read, I'm going to read Second Chronicles chapter 29. It says this. Second Chronicles 29. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. That's where he got his godly input from, from his mother. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Listen to this. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened up the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side, and he said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the temple. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook him. They turned their faces away from him. They turned their backs on him. So Hezekiah, the first thing that he did, the first, the most important thing that he did was he saw that the temple needed to be opened up so that the presence of the Lord may return in the temple. That was the number one thing. He saw that and he was diligent straight away to fix that. So he said to the Levites, clean yourself up because you are the ones who are appointed to minister in the house. Consecrate yourself, clean yourself up, which they did after eight days. Then they went into the temple and another eight days came 
and they cleaned the temple and they went back to the king and they said, King, Hezekiah, we've done it. We are ready to serve. We have cleaned the temple. We've removed all the filthy idols, altars, everything that's offensive. We've taken it away and cleaned and it is ready. So what did Hezekiah do on the 17th day? Well, he got all the officials and they all went up to the temple and they spread themselves out in front of the Lord and they offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. That was what they had to do. Hezekiah said, this is what we have to do. We've cleaned it all up. Now we have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. Please forgive us and please hear our prayer. Please forgive us so that you can come back into your temple, that your presence will reside once again in the temple. And that's what they did. And they prayed. Put their hands on, of course, on the goat, confessed their sins, slaughtered the goat, poured the blood on the altar. The blood. God heard their prayers. Then you got the Levites and the priests and they began to play music. They started to worship the Lord. And after three weeks... It said that the service of the Lord was re-established. After three weeks, this young man, after three weeks, accomplished what he'd set out to do. So why was it so important? Why was it so important? Well, it's like this. I read this and I thought it just stuck in my mind. To the God-fearing Jew... The glory of the promised land was the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And the glory of Jerusalem was Mount Zion. And the glory of Mount Zion was the temple. And the glory of the temple was the presence, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is seated between the cherubim. And Hezekiah saw it. Everything else is secondary. If we can get that right, get that right, then all the other problems, the Assyrians, whatever, and the, Philist- uh, the Philistines who were doing it, and the, uh, everything else, will put itself right. Number one, let's get the Lord back in the temple. Let's get back. Sorry, Lord. But the Lord needs to be in the temple and let's do our part. Let's show the Lord that we are, for want of a better word, fair dinkum. This amazing 25-year-old young man, he's seen it. This is what we need to do. Because without him, we are weak, we are vulnerable, we are nothing. 
presence of the Lord. You know, it's the chiefest of all blessings, isn't it, uh, brothers and sisters? The presence of the Lord is the chiefest blessing, the chief blessing. When you have the presence of the Lord with you, it's the very best that you can get. The presence of the Lord. We know this. And we realize after a while when we, when we get older, we realize and we start to hone in what's really important and we go, it's the presence of the Lord. That's what it's about. I've got to covet that. I've got to guard that. I've got to watch that because I don't want it to go. I want him to walk with me. If, if, uh, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We want to walk in the light because he is in the light. And so this becomes so important to us. Whom or whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The presence of the Lord. Oh, Now, on the island of Lewis, there were two elderly ladies and they were distressed about what they saw in their community because the presence of the Lord, they wanted more. Let me tell you their story. Oh, there it is. Was that there all the time while I was talking? <laughs> Off the coast of Scotland. Here they are. Peggy Smith, blind. Sister, Christine Smith, severe arthritis. Peggy was 84. Christine was 82. Now, the man in the middle, I'll tell you about him in a minute. So, in 1949, on the island of Lewis, two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith, 84, 82, since that the Lord was speaking to them, I will pour water out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And this led them to pray in their small village for two or three nights per week from 10, 10 p.m. to 3 in the morning. And after several weeks of praying like this, Peggy received a vision from the Lord. And she saw her church crowded with young people and an unknown minister preaching to them. Now their church had no young people, none, and their numbers were dwindling. Peggy sent for the local minister, 
and told him that they sensed that the Lord was going to send a revival and that he must get his church leaders, the church leaders, to start praying every Tuesday and Friday and they would pray simultaneously in the cottage. And they prayed this way for weeks. And people all over the island had a sense that God was telling them to seek me for an outpouring of his spirit. Now, after several weeks of praying, a young man got up and read from Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. He will receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from God his Saviour. And when he closed his Bible, he looked at the others in the group and he said this, well, it seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying and waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Immediately at 3 a.m., around 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present. It wasn't only them that sensed this, but the entire village and the largest surrounding area sensed the same awareness of God. When the group of intercessors left the barn at that early hour, they found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had lights on it, on it, and no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. They had invited a minister, the minister from the mainland, uh, Reverend Duncan Campbell. This man had uh, been in a previous revival in 1921, and they knew that he was the man to lead them. And so when he arrived, there were 300 people in the church waiting for him. And after preaching a sermon, nothing significant happened. But there was awareness of God's presence. The service was closed at 10.45. With everyone having left the church, Reverend Campbell and a young deacon were the only ones left. And the young man asked, uh, said to uh, Campbell, nothing is broken out tonight, but God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us and he will break out any moment. That young man then lifted his hands and started to pray, God, you made a promise to pour out your spirit, water on a thirsty ground and floods on a dry ground and you are not doing it. And he interceded in prayer fervently for a period of time. Around 11pm, the back door of the church opened and a man entered saying, Mr Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Mr Campbell, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty, thirsty and floods on the dry ground and listen, he's done it, he's done it. The door of the church opened and Campbell witnessed many hundreds of people entering the church. No one had invited them. 
They had been drawn sovereignly by God at a late hour of that evening. By midnight, the church was crowded out. At the same evening, there were 100 young people at a dance at a parish uh, county hall. During the dance, God suddenly fell upon them right at the same time when this young man was praying in the church. The music stopped. The young people became over, they became convicted of sin, fled the hall and made their way to the church. In addition to these 100 young people, there were hundreds more who had already been in bed, but simultaneously, without any explanation, got out of bed, dressed themselves, made their way to the church. A hunger and a thirst for God overwhelmed the people in the area. Now, in the church, the gathered crowd began singing psalms. The church could seat 800 was packed. And the people in the aisles and the pews were on their knees, crying out for God for mercy. That meeting continued to 4 a.m. There was no altar call, no appeals for, uh, to accept Christ. It was a sovereign work of God, and several of those saved that night became ministers. At 4 a.m., as Duncan Campbell was leaving the church to go to the uh, parsonage where he was to spend the night, someone approached him and asked him if he would go to the local police station because there was at least 300 people gathered there. So during the one-mile walk to the police station, he saw people all over the road kneeling and crying out to God in repentance, pleading for mercy. Upon arrival at the police station, Duncan Campbell didn't preach a sermon, but the crowd had mysteriously gathered themselves and were crying out to God for mercy due to the overwhelming conviction of their sins and that they were experiencing. Many of those assembled had come in buses from, lo from locations up to 20 miles away. And when asked why they had come, they didn't have an answer. They just said that we had to come to this village. And so why did they assemble at the police station? Well, some say it was because of the sergeant who was there. He was a, a very godly man. But Peggy and Christine's house was next door. <laughs> now, on the second night of Duncan Campbell's ministry at the, at the church, people all around the island of Lewis came in buses and the church was packed out. Some fell under severe conviction of sin on their way there and were converted before they arrived at the church. During Campbell's sermon, people were crying loudly over the sanctuary, burdened by the weight of sin. This level of ministry continued to the, in the county for five weeks until it spread to adjacent counties. Duncan Campbell would commonly preach four to eight sermons per day in churches as well as in the open fields along the shoreline. Some services were scheduled as late as three in the morning. At noon every day, for about two hours, all work stopped as people gathered to pray. People working in their fields, those weaving on the looms in their homes, everyone stopped to pray. There was no appeal for prayer. People just met 
and they prayed in their homes or at the church. 1949. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. And it started just by two dear old ladies that we would have never heard anything about because they had a burden for their community and they said, the only thing that will fix this is a visitation from the Lord. The only thing. And you know what? You just can't help it. You can't help think, but when you look at our community and you look at our country, and I pass the markets on the way to church every Sunday, and the place is full of people. And I just think to myself, Lord, how wonderful it would be if they were all here in this place worshipping you. What what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that would be. And yet, we know that they couldn't care less because we know that they are in walking and living in gross darkness. Bible says not darkness, gross darkness. Gross And the only thing, as we well know, is that we need to seek the Lord and ask him to come in great power and bring conviction on the people. That's the only way. Just like Hezekiah saw, there's only one thing that I can do. I have to do that. Pray. And Ben said this morning, you know, that we need to pray and we need to not give up because, yes, those two ladies were praying. Yes, they were, but there would have been many, many others who would have been praying for a long time and not seen anything. Many of us can remember in the 1990s when the, when the call went out, we need to pray for the 1040 window. And I remember sitting in a church listening to something. I thought, Lord, how on earth are you going to do that? The walls were like brass. People were unresponsive. I thought, Lord, that's just about impossible. How are you going to do that? We can't even get into the country. And now, well, you look at the 1040 window and you see miracle after miracle. Miracles. Just the just the transformation of countries. You know, just take Mongolia, 1970, four Christians, four. Now, four million plus. Think about China, just staggering. But I remember reading this one little thing in this magazine about a young lady and she was asked, what do you think has done it? And she said, it's prayer. The saints have been praying all over the world for change and God has heard their prayers. Oh. Am I going for time? Am I making you weary? 
If I am just uh, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> where the Spirit of the Lord is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I love Hezekiah. I just do because he's just such a great man and there's just so much in it. And I thought, oh, I have to leave that out. But I just seem to think that the most important thing that this morning that the Lord is saying, I think that we need to kind of, ex we need to examine ourselves. We need to be honest enough. We need to say, Lord, is there anything, is there anything that I need to clean up in my life? Consecrate yourself. Lord, is there anything that is offensive that I just don't see? Because things do creep into our lives subtly. I have learned that over the years, as you have, little things can slip in. I was here, uh, I was here in, in, uh, in the service one Sunday morning, I was sitting right there, and, uh, and, uh, and I was worshipping the Lord, lovely, and then I just heard a voice, said this, delete Netflix. Just a voice. I went, went home. Now, I don't, uh, I just, my daughter has it, and, and I just kind of think that I, and I just watch movies occasionally, delete it. Went home, delete. If the Lord tells you to do something, do it. Do it. What, he's, what is he? Yeah, but he, no. He wants blessing. He wants increase in your life. Just, it was just... Deleted. Okay. I want to talk about my favourite part, which is the Assyrians. The Assyrians are coming. And they did. The Assyrians did come. And Hezekiah went to the temple of the Lord and he said, Lord, you deal with them. They're too big for me. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. Go home and have a read of it. It's wonderful. But I just want to make this point, this one point, and that is this, is that, oh, sorry if I'm, I'll just, let me just move that along. Oh, no, I'll just turn it off. Can I just turn it off? Can you just turn it off for me? Just so I don't get distracted. Sorry. That's better. I just do that just so you're not distracted. Uh, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And he said, Lord, you deal with them. You're in the house. You're in your temple. We are your people. Lord, I, we don't know what to do. You deal with them. And God did deal with them. But when Hezekiah finished praying, Isaiah, who was in another part of Jerusalem, 
sent him this message. And this is what he said. Hezekiah, this is a message from the Lord. Listen to this. Because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Because you prayed to me concerning, I will deal with that man. And he did. Prayer. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. You have any concerns? Pray. Pray. Number one, pray. Go to the temple. Go into your place. Pray. Tell the Lord. See what he will do. Rightio. Well, I've just about finished. But before I finish, I'd like to just allow a little bit of time, if I may, just a couple of minutes. I just want to read these questions out and I just want to take a couple of minutes in the quietness of this place and ask the Lord if he would speak to us. Here's my questions. Lord, is there anything in my life I need to change? Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to change? Lord, are there any hidden idols, anything, any affections that I'm unaware of that I need to deal with and remove? Is there anything in my life that I'm just not aware of, but you are? Can you please tell me so that I can remove it? And the third thing, are there any areas in my life that I need to strengthen for the days ahead because we know that the devil is like a roaring lion? Is there any areas in my life that I need to strengthen? So I would just like to take a couple of minutes and quiet Allow God to speak to us.
Oh Lord, we say to you, yes, your will be done. We say, yes, Lord, I will. And Father, this morning, I just thank you this morning for your presence here. I thank you this morning for your people. Lord, we just thank you that you have spoken to us this morning and, and I ask that you would continue to bless us and show us your way. Father, thank you this morning in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.